All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. We'll start today's episode the same way we've kicked off every other episode this fall by recapping some of the best NFL action from this past weekend. We'll react to the Patriots' win over the Cowboys and the 49ers' blowout of the Packers before giving quick-hit thoughts on a few other games that could have an impact on this season's playoff races. With 2020 rapidly approaching, we'll be spending all of December looking back on some of the best U.S. sports moments of the past decade with a bracket competition to determine the greatest of them all. Instead of a top five, we will conclude this episode with the official reveal of the 64 entries that will be up for the honor. We'll give our full analysis of each region to help you get ready for an exciting month of voting. All right, so I'm sure a lot of you are very excited to uh, hear what the full bracket is for our greatest U.S. sports moment of the decade. Uh, So we'll get to that later, but first we're going to start with NFL, and we will uh, give our reactions to Week 12, which is officially in the books. Thanksgiving is coming up. Maybe it is Thanksgiving when you listen to it. Maybe Thanksgiving has already happened. Uh, so that means that the NFL is really entering the stretch run. These games have a lot of importance. And uh, one of the biggest games of the weekend, the New England Patriots take down the Dallas Cowboys 13-9. Two teams that are in a little different spots when it comes to the, their playoff races and their respective conference as the Patriots are hanging on to the number one seed in the AFC. The Cowboys are holding on to the four seed in the NFC, but uh, they can't separate themselves from the Eagles. So this game, defensive struggle, sloppy weather. Brian, as a Patriots fan, I sure that the same thought you've been thinking all season, defense is great, offense not so much. That is exactly it. I feel like we all got robbed of a good game between the Patriots and Cowboys because of the bad weather. I feel like if this game was in Dallas or if, the game in New England just had much better weather. We would have had a, uh, a really great game, but uh, unfortunately, like you said, it was uh, a struggle on both for both offenses. And I feel like I learned nothing about each team. The pa- the pa- Patriots defense is really good. Patriots offense is shaky. Uh, the Cowboys have plenty of good players in their team, but they're led by uh, a dunderhead head coach who, of course, went for the field goal when they were down by a touchdown and decided not to go for it, and then. Uh, in my opinion, I think it cost them the game a little bit. And although they did get uh, two minutes left uh, for a game-winning drive, uh, but unfortunately they got robbed from that call when they, they were on third and one and they completed the first down, but then all of a sudden they got it got taken away because of a tripping call, which even though I was rooting for the Patriots, of course, I, I wasn't a fan of that call. And I feel like that's been the story of the league this entire year with the refs really just ruining some of the best games we've had have had all year and 
uh, I feel like there's just been too many flags thrown for this whole season. I, I yeah, I don't like that call either. That was bizarre, but it, I don't think it changed much. Like I, I didn't have any faith in the Cowboys being able to win that game, anyways. Um, honestly, I can't wait to see what comes out of this season from the Cowboys because if if they fail to make the playoffs, heads are gonna roll. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Jason Garrett's days in Dallas are numbered. I don't know if making the playoffs is even good enough for him to come back because he's playing without a contract. So Jerry Jones has to like what he sees enough to pay him more and give him another one. So to me, I think it's going to take a lot. And the Cowboys had an opportunity. They could go into Gillette Stadium, which is a very, very tough place to win, as everyone knows, and prove that they are a legitimate football team because we know they have the talent. The coaching just isn't there. And I guess, you know, going back to Brian's point, the weather, it was disappointing. It could have been a great game. You don't really know what you get out of it because neither offense was able to move the ball and the elements played a big role. But we still saw a lot of uh, questions from that Patriots offense. And, you know, the Cowboys offense just was unable to muster anything against a really solid Patriots defense. I have, I do have a little bit of faith in the younger guys. Nikhil Harry scored his first touchdown of the season. Great uh, catch on that play. Yeah, and Jacoby Myers, even though he had a couple bad drops, he did make a couple good plays. And they were playing without Mohamed Sanu and Philip Dorsett in that game. So to come out with a victory without two of their three best receivers is uh, is definitely a plus. But unfortunately, even though even though that helps, uh, I think if they were ever, ever to lose Julian Edelman for the season at all it that would be uh that would really really hurt the Patriots for sure yeah I I agree I think um at this point the the Patriots weapons are numbered and uh you know when they they don't have some of their guys it's it definitely doesn't help the offense but at the same time I I don't know if you can fully blame the weapons on Tom Brady's struggles because he he's just not even getting the ball to his receivers half the time. And there are plenty of times where drops are an issue. And you know, I guess the weather certainly played a factor. It affected the Cowboys offense as well. But I think there's plenty of reason to kind of doubt uh, the Patriots' ability to win games because of their offense. I think it's going to have to I think they, I think they looked a little forward. bit better. Even though they only scored 13 points, uh, it was extremely, extremely bad weather. So I, I blame... Most of their struggles in that game based on the weather, but they've had they have been struggling a little bit for most of the season. But I mean, last year I wasn't very high on the team at all, and they were able to turn it around completely by January. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing were to happen. So I guess I know you kind of talked about these earlier. Gave your your thoughts on it. There's really kind of two big takeaways from the fourth quarter when you look at. Uh, this game holistically and I think the first one to talk about was that the Cowboys decision to kick a field goal and they're down seven (sighs) it's fourth and seven though and the Cowboys offense was kind of stalled you haven't gotten past you haven't gotten past midfield basically the entire game and it it's I agree with everything Troy Aikman said it's four down territory at that point you gotta you gotta go for it Um, even if it's fourth and Seven is not ideal compared to like fourth and two or fourth and three. I still would rather go for it at that point. Yeah, it's a coaching uh, mistake right there. That's Jason Garrett getting in the game and messing it up for his guys. Um, you got to go for it there, kicking the field goal. Especially, I mean, I know they weren't having. We just said everything about the Patriots' offense, but they you when you're playing against a team like the Patriots that are able to win 
on any side. Gotta be aggressive. You have to be aggressive. You can't play the conservative game and expect to win against Bill Belichick. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's rainy on Sunday night football or if it's a sunny day in Foxborough. You have to play to win. And uh Jason Garrett is just too busy. You he was clapping, chewing gum, and great field goal. Playing great it field goal exactly. Great field goal. You know, I, I'm normally one who embraces analytics and thinks that coaches uh, doing things like this uh, are terrible moves. But I, I think given this situation, I honestly didn't hate it because I had no faith that the Cowboys, after the three plays that they had run before that, were going to pick up the first down. So at that point, it's like, okay, I guess you can kick a field goal and maybe try again with a touchdown to win the game. Uh, but I, I do understand just based on the their chances of winning the game they probably didn't drastically improve by kicking a field goal there so it's definitely one of those decisions that i think it's totally reasonable for cowboys fans to question jason garrett i think just given the the exact scenario that they were in that game it, it probably wasn't the worst thing to do there to take the points and hope for the best because i i don't know if they they had a play that could have reasonably picked up the seven yards they needed there um but and I guess from there the next thing was that tripping call. So I know Brian, you straight up said that it wasn't tripping. How often no, have you guys it, ever heard tripping in a game? Barely. Like, I, I can't remember the last time. I, I said it's been called seven times this uh, year. I know it happens in hockey, but I'm, I don't think it really happens in football. And I think it was wasn't it called twice in that twice game? and yeah. both were questionable. Uh, I I didn't understand that. And even though I'm root, again rooting for the other team, I personally I'm just offended when calls like that are made. At the end, and especially in crucial moments where it's, there's two minutes left in the game and uh, the winner is about to be decided uh, in this moment because they're down by four instead of three, so the game was going to end uh, in in the fourth quarter there. So I was not a fan of that call, and I don't want to say that's the reason why the Cowboys lost, but it robbed them of a, a better chance of winning that game. Absolutely, and uh, I haven't seen any neutral person. Uh, totally unbiased say that oh yeah that was that was a good call that was that was definitely tripping it just seemed like a weird call in a crucial situation and uh, yeah the NFL has definitely had plenty of officiating mistakes at this point so uh, it's not something you like to see happen because if that were to happen in a playoff game this would be even worse so I guess lastly from here I think we're all on the Jason Garrett fire him bandwagon for the Cowboys I've been on that bandwagon for (laughs) probably years but yeah i'm i'm fully leading that bandwagon a little bit right now yeah well Uh, sure sure something's got to change i mean if i was a cowboys fan i'd have pitchforks and torches outside the stadium and be yelling for it to happen so one thing i've heard from cowboys fans i know is that they don't think jason garrett has ever won the team a game they've won games because of the talent they have on the field but jason garrett has never been the difference maker and i think that's a good way to describe him to me, uh, you know, I, I also agree with that. Uh, one thing, I'm not going to say that this is my own personal idea. This is something that I heard as a suggestion, and actually from a, a New England radio person, but Josh McDaniels as the next Dallas Cowboys head coach kind of makes a lot of sense to me because you look at Tom Brady. There's questions about whether he's even going to come back next year, and I think if Brady goes, there's no way McDaniels is going to want to stick around because – uh, Brady's been such a huge part of his offense, and who knows what he's going to have, whether it's Jared Siddham or you know, Marcus Mariota, you know, some other free agent. So to me, I think that would make sense to go. He knows Dak Prescott's going to be the guy. He's going to get a contract from Jerry Jones. He's going to have Ezekiel Elliott, 
He'll maybe have Amari Cooper, but he'll have some weapons. I feel like that could be a really good fit. And of course, with how long Garrett has been able to last in Dallas, I think they'll have a much longer leash than McDaniels had at his last stop in Denver. So, I mean, Brian, as a Patriots fan, I'm sure you don't necessarily want McDaniels to go, but you know, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't want him to go, especially if Brady's still there, but it would make sense, especially since, in my opinion, I don't think Belichick's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, if you look at the records, I mean, he has the Super Bowl records, but in terms of all-time wins, he's definitely a little bit behind Shula right now, and I think uh, he's, on pay- he's on pace to break it, but he'd have to stay another, like, I don't know, five or six seasons which goes into his 70s, but I don't think McDaniels wants to stay for that many seasons. I know he, he turned down the Colts job a couple of years ago, but uh, it's looking more and more like Belichick's going to be there for uh, for years to come, and I think now would be the time to move. So it would it, I wouldn't like it as a Patriots fan since he's a huge part of why the offense, or a big part of why the offense is good, but I think it's time for him to find a different job. I think the question is, will Josh Daniels want to work with Jerry Jones? Because Jerry Jones likes to be the owner slash GM slash like do everything I I say, Mr. Head Coach kind of guy. And and I feel like that's kind of why he turned down the Colts job. Or one of the reasons was because I don't think he would work well with Jim Ursay. And not that he's like anything like Jerry Jones, but he's also kind of a, a outgoing personality for an owner and... Uh, it probably wasn't a good match. Well, I think Jerry Jones wants a yes man, a guy who's going to do whatever he says. And um, yeah, I, which is I why Jason Garrett's been the coach for the past ten seasons. Right, and if he continues to be the coach somehow, that's going to be the reason why is because he's just Jerry Jones's puppet. I wasn't a fan of what Jerry Jones said at the end of that game. I know he's passionate about his team and wants him to win, and just saying that it was an extremely disappointing loss and they were outcoached. I mean, well, that's that's kind of your fault that you. You not only hired him years ago, but you still have Jason Garrett as the coach right now. I, I make the make the decision to go with a different guy. I don't understand why he had to be that upset after that game. I mean, he he keeps giving Jason Garrett one last chance, and Garrett keeps finding ways to win, or at least the Cowboys keep finding ways to win under him. Uh, but I, I I do understand that in in terms of working with Jerry Jones, it does probably take a special kind of coach. Um, to, to be able to want to deal with that. But uh, I do think it'll be interesting to monitor that situation moving forward, as well as, like you said, with the whole, you know, Bill Belichick, um, if he's going to be sticking around for a while, then is Josh McDaniels going to have second thoughts or, you know, at least feel like this is a better time for him to move on. So, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to our next game. San Francisco 49ers, uh, all season long, they've been winning games, but there's been a knock against them and that they haven't been beating great teams, real playoff contenders. They lost to the Seahawks on Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago, had another chance to prove themselves against the Packers, and what do they do? They win 37-8. to So, Ben, your Niners are looking really, really good now. 20 for 33, 104 yards. This was the stat line for Aaron Rodgers after he had to deal with the 49ers he actually only ended up with 66 net passing yards because he was sacked five times for a negative 38 yards um this is an absolutely dominant performance and and i know that the knock has been oh the niners defense has only looked good because they've been playing nobodies and literally 
every team in the NFL is terrible. So uh, the 49ers can't be trusted to be actually a good team. They lost to the Seahawks. Yeah. In overtime after a missed kick from a backup kicker. Right. But no, that proves Mm -hmm. that we're pretenders. Finally, we get a chance to go up against a a team that, you know, is obviously going to be in the playoffs. And they absolutely showed up suffocating the past game uh, of Aaron Rodgers. And what's key, one of the things I really love to see from this game was uh, that the 49ers never let up. They kept the gas on. Aaron Rodgers is never truly out of a football game, no matter how terrible his first half might look. Um, And the only way to make sure that you win is that you continue to pile it on, even if you're ahead, no matter what. The Packers went on like an almost nine-minute drive uh, to finally put points up in the third quarter. Um, and they went for two and they were, they got back into the game. They got, uh, you know, they had eight points with, uh, you know, maybe they could catch, catch up with the Niners, get back into this game. But one thing they had to do is stop the 49ers from scoring on the very next drive. Kyle Shanahan dials up a 61 yard touchdown at George Kittle. And just like that, the 49ers have undone the damage and the route continues. Um, that to me is the look of a playoff team, uh, a team that can play competent or dominant ball on both sides of uh on offense and defense uh, the whole game long i mean there was a bunch i mean i was just so thrilled for my guys uh in this game dj jones a name that even non-ren high school alumni might start to recognize uh had a, a dominant game he had four tackles and two of them were for a loss he was part of dismantling the packers run game early so that they would have to rely on the pass game which was never going to work with the way that the 49ers have edge rushers debo samuel with the yards after the catch got a touchdown uh, got a touchdown jimmy garoppolo the quarterback who isn't good enough like the quarterback who's just being carried by his defense was an efficient 14 for 20 253 yards two touchdowns zero turnovers zero boneheaded uh throws normally he has at least one that's like should have been picked not even one in this one kittle is himself back from injury fred warner is replacing Quan alexander's production in the middle akella witherspoon returns to an overachieving secondary just to bolster that lineup and um, this unit is looking like they're ready for the playoffs. We're getting healthy at the right time. And um, this is the best outcome we could have had from this matchup with the Packers looking ahead to an even more difficult matchup with the Ravens. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you basically covered all the main topping points. <laughs> I didn't really have much there. to say. I'm sorry. You see, you covered literally every uh, topic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for you, it's like, this season could not have gone any better to this point. And this is the kind of game that the 49ers needed to go out and win, let alone win in a blowout like that. That's And to me, that this absolutely proves that the 49ers can hang with the best of them. And I think that the Seahawks' overtime loss should have proved that as well, a game that could have gone either way. Uh, and for the, the 49ers to be able to come out and win in a blowout like this, and not just win in a blowout, but win in a blowout against Aaron Rodgers, I think that just, just cements how great this defense is. And I think there's a very strong case of the second-best defense in the league. 
and the offense showed that they have firepower. You had George Kittle coming back from injury. Debo Samuel had some injury concerns. That that didn't stop either of them from having long touchdowns. And, yeah, I think absolutely this, this 49ers team proved that they are a legitimate championship contender. The NFC is a tough conference. There are five very, very good teams, and then that's not even including the Cowboys and Eagles, whose record is probably a little worse than their actual talent. So it's far from says, you know, everything's like clinched. Uh, the Niners are the best team in the NFC. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. But I think that a lot of people have to really be buying into them now if they weren't already. Yeah, I'll admit I was more reluctant than others to take the 49ers seriously. Uh, but after this past Sunday, I I definitely take them a lot more seriously than I uh, have all season. I, I've always thought their defense has been good, uh, but the fact that they played as well as they did versus an elite quarterback and a per- basically an elite offense like the Packers uh, in prime time uh, was very impressive. And their running game looked good as usual. Uh, Debo Samuel has had a terrific year. Uh, and then George Kinnell playing with broken bones in his ankle uh is just a monster he's he's definitely uh one of my favorites on on the Niners and then is he tight end one in the league do you guys think he's the best tight end yeah I think he is yeah I think I think this game ended the conversation finally Mm -hmm. uh people have been saying no Travis Kelsey's definitely better uh no Zach Ertz he's like the best tight end Kittle's like total totally not Uh, as good as him no yeah it's Kittle it's either Kittle tight end one it's either him or Kelsey but I as just a personal bias since I don't I'm not a fan of Kelsey I kind of think he's a tool but uh (laughs) yeah I I think yeah George Kittle with that performance playing with the with his injuries uh is definitely got my vote for best tight end and uh even though I've been kind of been down on Garoppolo calling him handsome Jared Goff I would it's kind of unfair because Jared Goff is a total stiff at football uh, but he's also Rob- kind of handsome himself, right? Yeah, he, he is. <laughs> oh, wait, <whoa. laughs> I think the difference between Jared Goff and Jimmy is enough that Jimmy still garners like the handsome additional. He's that much more attractive than Jared Goff. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I for Garoppolo, yes, he's been fine this year, but there have been plenty of moments where he's turned the ball over, been too inconsistent, and his only really great games were against the Cardinals, who are one of the de- worst defenses in the league, but. Like you said, Ben, he was very efficient versus the Packers and did not turn the ball over and had some pretty good throws in that game. So I will give Garoppolo a little bit of credit for uh, having a good game uh, this past Sunday. You know what? Like the Patriots, the 49ers don't need Jimmy Garoppolo to be an elite quarterback to win because they can rely on the run game. They can rely on the defense. And I don't uh, think the Patriots can rely on their run game, though. Too no, as, I mean the Patriots have the, the special teams instead of the run game. Yeah. But I mean for the 49ers, you have other things they can rely on. This need Garoppolo to be competent, be a game manager. Maybe every now and then he'll have a game that he comes out and wins him like for the team. But yeah, to me, I think that this 49ers team is all the makings of a championship contender, and we'll see the next two weeks at Baltimore Ravens at New Orleans Saints. Those are the two teams that I think can make a very good case. They're the best in their conference, even if they're not the record-wise. So uh, it'll be a a really big opportunity for the 49ers uh, in these next coming weeks. So uh, I guess just real quickly, let's take some time to talk about the Packers. And I remember after the first week of the season, some people were like, oh, the Packers defense is elite. They shut down the Chicago Bears and their high-powered offense. Yeah, I don't I don't think anyone's saying that kind of stuff about the Packers defense anymore because they have not looked the same as they did at the start of the year. I think they're still fine, but yeah, they're not they're not an elite defense. 
I, I still think they have a decent pass rush, and that's what I think matters in for their post-season uh, hopes. Like if they're going to be in a game where it's a shootout and they just need that one game clinching stop, that one turnover, you know, late in the game that gets them the win. I still feel good about their uh, D line in the, those situations. But if Aaron Rodgers is only throwing 66 net yards, then you're going to have a real problem because this is not the type of defense that you can lean on all game long. No, and I, I think that'll be uh, this this team's Achilles heel to an extent, just because there are a lot of great teams in the NFC who have great defenses. So um, I don't know if uh, the, the Packers will totally be able to rely on that if Aaron Rodgers is going to come out and play like that against an equally great defense. So we'll see. There's a lot of football to be played left. We still have five weeks ago, and the NFC is very much uh, still kind of wide open with uh, – at least you know three of the four divisions uh, that are you know very much up for grabs. Uh, so before we wrap up our NFL talk, let's do uh, some quick hit thoughts on some other games that have some impacts uh, around the league when it comes to that playoff stretch. Starting with my Steelers, who beat the Bengals sixteen to ten, and I mean that the takeaway from this game is the same takeaway as uh, most weeks this season. The defense is very good, and Mason Rudolph is very bad. Uh, he's officially been benched for Devlin Hodges for next week's game against the Cleveland Browns. And I don't know if Hodges is going to be a huge upgrade, but he certainly lit a spark when he came in with that 79-yard touchdown pass to James Washington. That proved to be the difference in this game. Doug Hodges is, in my opinion, definitely, in probably most people's opinion, better than Mason Rudolph. I, my one uh, complaint about Mason Rudolph getting benched is that they're facing the Browns next week, and I feel like it could have been more entertaining uh, if he were out there after everything that happened uh, a couple weeks ago. Well, I thought that's why they were benching him. It was more like a precautionary action. So to, he doesn't get literally So that Miles Garrett doesn't yeah. rush the field with like a handful of helmets and just absolutely clobber him. No, no. I mean, hey, I think he's got to be worried about Browns fans if he's in the parking lot with them trying to clobber him with the Steelers helmet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Miles Garrett probably won't be allowed anywhere near that facility. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's gonna be a huge game, uh, between two teams that, uh, big rivals and could certainly play a big role in the playoff race, which is surprising for the Browns because they were two and six. It looked like they were dead, but they have won three in a row, including this week's very impressive win over the Miami Dolphins, 41 to 24. I don't know. Very impressive. Uh, and, and the Miami Dolphins should be in the same sentence, like for an impressive win. I don't care how many points you beat them by; it's still the Dolphins. I mean, I think it's less about how many they you know, they actually won by, and more about how competent that offense looked. Because it's certainly been disappointing to start the season, but it's really clicking, and they they came together really well. I don't care who they were playing. I still, I'm not even surprised that the Browns have have improved a little bit just because of how soft their schedule has been the past few weeks they've played the 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 bills who yes they've been good but they still have josh allen as their quarterback turn the ball over multiple times a game they face the steelers and mason rudolph and then like you said they just face the dolphins i i'm not even surprised that they've improved a little bit because just because of their putrid schedule 
um, you know, I, I can't really draw any conclusions from Miami. Let's see what they do against a defense like the Steelers. Like, uh, it's good. I'm glad they won. Obviously, that's better than losing. You know, that, that bode, certainly bodes well that you didn't lose to the Dolphins. But, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what the Browns are able to do next week uh, against, like, an actual defense. Yeah, I mean, the offense was able to move the ball against the Steelers defense uh, when they played in Cleveland. And I think the Steelers are probably going to need to get some sacks and get some turnovers, something that they struggled to do last time to be able to pull out this win. I'm, I'm still salty that I have to see Baker Mayfield every time I watch primetime football. Uh, he does not deserve it's to be all on the my, commercials. He does not deserve to be on my television that much. I'm sorry. He is, like, why wasn't, um, you know, Brian you not entertained what, what, by him walking over to the other side of the field to get a drink for his hot lady? Why wasn't C.J. Beathard on all the commercials when the 49ers were absolute trash? You know, like the or uh, who's that guy? Nick Mullins. Yeah, where's right? Nick? Where's my Nick Mullins commercial? Baker Mayfield's over here. Like, I, okay, sorry, I need to I need to hold off here. But honestly, it does piss me off that Baker Mayfield gets treated like an absolute Hall of Famer after having like an when he's, okay when he's a below average quarterback okay he did have a good like rookie year but still like it i don't think it warrants the amount of media exposure that i have to uh tolerate because of Baker he's got Mayfield. he's gotten about the same amount of uh airtime as mahomes and mahomes threw 50 touchdowns y- last yes year. no he has though that's actually a really good comparison is to think about all the times you see mahomes in a in a commercial and baker mayfield like baker mayfield is like top three it's like aaron Rodgers, mahomes and baker Mayfield and it's like one of these th- one of these things is not like the others even though I'm not a Richard Sherman fan whatsoever I did love that uh, Sherman called out Mayfield for being as cocky as he is and saying you know it'd be easy for Mahomes to be like that given his success from last season but he's too good for that he is too but good for that. that yes yeah but, but <laughs> the fact with- that Mayfield is just this like I don't, how do, I don't. Actually, that's pop funny. Kid that's who, so funny. Who thinks that he's a Hall of Famer. Baker Mayfield he, he is walking around like he's got the stat line of a Mahomes or a Jackson, but he doesn't. Yeah. He's just flexing. He's got. He's just got. Uh, it's very frustrating. So honestly, um, I'm not super stoked on seeing him win against the Dolphins because the Dolphins are bad, and also Baker Mayfield is maybe not like him very much. So uh, you know, on to see, on to uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, hey, you know what? That's what happens when you're a crown preseason Super Bowl champs. You get all this unwarranted hype before the season starts. But I guess the Browns are clicking at the right time, so we'll see if it looks a little better uh, about a month from now. So next game, segment the AFC North, Baltimore Ravens, 45-6 to over the Rams. I don't know how anyone can doubt Lamar Jackson at this point, how anyone can doubt the Ravens' offense. And really, the Ravens' defense has looked so good as well after starting kind of iffy so to me baltimore is the best team in the afc and they're continuing to prove it yeah i don't take many teams in the afc very seriously the afc is basically a joke but the ravens are uh no for no joke they are for sure probably the 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 biggest rival for the patriots this upcoming postseason and i wouldn't be surprised if they came into foxborough and won because not only has have the ravens come into Foxborough in one games but Lamar Jackson has proven that he can beat the Patriots and destroy other teams as well throughout the league so uh I'll, I'll admit like Ben said last week or two weeks ago I'm sort of eating crow right now on uh Lamar Jackson how good he's how good he's been because I didn't I did not see this coming whatsoever yeah I'm I'm glad that I already ate crow so that 
<laughs> I don't want to be fully embarrassed when Lamar Jackson goes off against our defense. I mean, there's I have a, a you know a hope and a prayer that any if any D line can contain him, it's ours. But um, it doesn't even it just seems like a straight up video game. I know that gets used a lot to describe the way Lamar Jackson plays, but it just doesn't seem like it's possible to stop him. You contain him in the pocket, he'll make amazing throws uh, and score through the air. If you uh, try to blitz and you know get him on his feet, he'll escape and and run on you, uh, and and probably make some pretty awesome looking highlights while he's at it. So um, honestly. Lamar Jackson's a problem and I really don't see a solution to it I think what helps a lot for Lamar Jackson is that he has a great coaching staff as well with with uh, John Harbaugh and their own offensive coordinator and Greg Roman who was the offensive coordinator when he was with the Niners and they had Kaepernick and when he was at the top of his game he wasn't ever this good but I mean who's remember how good nobody if you remember how good Kaepernick good. was his rookie or second year in the league uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of the success for Lamar Jackson this year has to do with the fact that he he's also surrounded by a great coaching staff as well. Agreed. Yeah, Gregor Roman has certainly played a huge role in uh, Lamar Jackson's development, and he's going to have another big test against 49ers defense, but he's he's passed most of the tests he's faced this season, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, next game, Saints 34, Panthers 31, a game that I think a lot of people thought was going to be a blowout with uh, given how good New Orleans has been this season and how bad Carolina looked the previous week against the Falcons. Yeah, this turned out to be one of the most exciting games of the week with the Saints winning on a game-winning field goal as time expired. I mean, at this point, is this? I don't know if this is an indictment against New Orleans. Was last week an anomaly for Carolina, this week an anomaly? Uh, to me, I, I think that the Panthers have uh, suffered some really, really tough losses this season. Uh, they they could have been a, a real playoff contender if they pulled out some of these wins, and I think it's going to cost a lot of people their jobs next season. Yeah, they've had some kind of heartbreaking losses. Week 2 versus Tampa at home on Thursday night, and then they had that really bad loss uh, versus Atlanta, and then uh, a heartbreaking ending, uh, like you said, at the, against New Orleans uh, this past Sunday, and I think Kyle Allen is still a pretty good quarterback, but just uh, struggles w- with his accuracy at times. Uh, but like you said, they could have they could have been a, a much better contender if it wasn't for uh, some of the losses they've had this year. You just got to win. I know the Saints um, look a little more mortal as of late, but they're still winning. Uh, they've still got Drew Brees and they've still got Sean Payton. So. Um, from a perspective of uh, a fan of a different NFC powerhouse, uh, it's encouraging to see them struggle. But, I mean, this it's a division game um, against a Panthers team who's, yeah, like you said, could have been better, who could have a better record at this point um, if certain things went their way. Um, so it feels good to see the, pain, the Saints be a little bit more uh, mortal, but I still think that they're right there at the top of the NFC with some of the other better, uh, good teams. What's scary is that the Saints, they only have two losses this year, but Alvin Kamara hasn't really had an eruption spot yet, and none of their receivers outside of Michael Thomas have even done anything. So if if Breeze were to get the ball a little bit more to Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith, I think it's going to cause even more problems for anyone that faces them. Yeah, I, I don't think that the this should be a reason to be alarmed by the Saints. I think it's more of a, what's going on in Carolina? What's going on with this Panthers team? What's going on with Kyle Allen? Because 
Uh, you know, he, he certainly has not been the same quarterback since that 49ers game, but kind of redeemed himself a little bit this week. Um, all I know is that Christian McCaffrey continues to be a really, really, really good player, arguably the best running back in the league, and I, I suppose still an MVP candidate. So. I, w- I wouldn't even go arguably. I think he's by far, in a way, the best running back. And I he is having MVP season, but it's being much overshadowed by Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson a little bit too as well. And the fact that the Panthers are 5-6. and six. Yeah. So, all right, last game, Raiders 34 or sorry, Jets 34, Raiders 3. Uh, this is the kind of game that felt like, oh, you know, Raiders traveling west to east and uh, the Jets are coming off a couple wins. Maybe they can pull off an upset, but I don't think anyone saw a blowout like this happening. Uh, no, I did not. Even though it was my upset pick and I don't take the Raiders very seriously, especially since I don't think their defense is still that really that good but i did not think the jets would win by four plus touchdowns yeah i wish i had chosen the other way i had the raiders winning this one um but this felt like the if our assumptions in the preseason had been correct this would be this the game i would have predicted like i would have expected the jets to be much much better than the raiders um and it wasn't what i was expecting i i I, I think that's interesting. I, I rarely think about things like this, uh, but it does play a role. Like going west to east, at least in my experience being a Niners fan, it is tough to go across the country and, and win a football game. Um, but honestly, the Raiders were just outclassed in every <laughs> facet of this game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel bad for the Raiders. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't look now, but Sam Darnold, after the, the Jets beat the Giants, moved to 2-7. and seven. He said, we're still technically alive for the playoffs. And they went out and they have won two in a row since then. Their next two games are against the Bengals and the Dolphins. They could be 6-7, and seven, well within striking distance of the AFC. Of course, the last three are the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Bills. So at that point, we'll really get to see what this Jets team is made of. But they're, they're at least making themselves relevant uh, entering the final stretch, if nothing else. Yeah, if, if Donald were healthy for the entire season, it would it'd probably look a little bit different in the playoff picture. Yeah, you can absolutely blame that uh, mono um, as a potential reason why this Jets team is not uh, where they they would like to be, uh, but are still, I guess, somewhat somewhat in uh, in good shape now that Darnold is healthy. So, all right, let's wrap things up with NFL and move on to our final segment and a very exciting one as we will reveal the. 64 entries for our greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010 bracket competition. So for this, uh, we will be starting on December 2nd, and we'll have the voting done via Twitter polls. So you'll have to follow us at He's Done It Pod uh, to get all of the latest matchups. And uh, let's let's get right to it, and let's start off with the number one seeds. So. We'll be breaking up this bracket into four regions, championship heroics, legendary moments, team triumphs, and unforgettable plays. And the number one seed in the championship's heroics region, Malcolm Butler, goal line interception, clinches Super Bowl 49 for the Patriots. Yeah, it is. The Malcolm Butler interception is one of my favorite plays in the history of sports, and uh, which is probably saying a little too much, but... 
that that play won them the Super Bowl. And not only that, Malcolm Butler, if you look at his story, he during college he worked at Popeyes and he was playing Division Two football and was undrafted. If you told Malcolm Butler that within the next year or so that he would be in the Super Bowl making an abs- the, a completely unforgettable play by intercepting intercepting Russell Wilson with 30 seconds left in the Super Bowl to win to win the Patriots their fourth title uh he you would think that's a complete joke but he made an absolutely great play and yes the Seahawks were really really stupid by throwing on uh the one yard line but at the same time it was a a great play yeah I love this play because it's just so first of all it's in the Super Bowl so everybody was watching it but everything changed in an instant it was all good just a play ago for the Seahawks um, but to have them do something so inexplicable like not hand it off to Marshawn Lynch um, on the goal line and then the amazing play made by a nobody I mean this has everything you want in it to be the most epic sports moment I really love this one especially um, I'm no Patriots fan but I definitely hate the Seahawks so to have this happen to them is um, very glorious, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that the Patriots stopped the Seahawks from going back-to-back. Um, but even if I can see this from a neutral fan's perspective, to have such an unlikely play decide the game uh, in such a pivotal moment when everyone you know knew this was going to be how the game was decided, um, you know they thought, obviously, the Seahawks were going to score, they were driving, and to have it go the other way is just um, unforgettable. What's crazy is that I felt like I was living Super Bowl 42 all over again because before the Malcolm Butler interception happened, two plays earlier, Jermaine Curse makes this crazy, unbelievable catch similar to the David uh, David Tyree one. And I, I basically thought the game was over once he made that catch because they're at the five-yard line or around the five-yard five line and... Marshawn Lynch almost gets in and they're at the one yard line and they're not calling a timeout. Uh, and if they get in, like the game's over. So I, I, I was basically giving up, but then all of a sudden an interception at the one yard line uh, happens. So it was truly a great moment. And that is why as a number one seed in the championship heroics region, uh, moving on to the legendary moments region, the number one seed, LeBron James leads Cleveland to first championship in five decades. Yeah, so for this for this one at the number one seed uh, for legendary moments, I was not I'm not a fan of the Cavs or Warriors, uh, but I was on the edge of my seat uh, as many as were many other people, and uh, I think this is the the biggest highlight of LeBron's career with that block uh, with two minutes left to go, and then Kyrie uh, sticking the three to win. To win Cleveland their first title, uh, NBA title, was uh, absolutely incredible as well, even though I'm not even a fan of either team. Yeah, it's like a storybook kind of thing uh, to have LeBron James, like, bring it you know uh, accomplish the promise you know to come back and bring a ring to uh, Cleveland, especially because Cleveland needs it so bad anyways. Um, but LeBron James for me has always been this kind of like storybook athlete, this the chosen one of basketball, at least for our generation. Uh, and for him to be able to do this for Cleveland uh, really is special. Instead of doing it for some larger market team, to have him be able to uh, bring a championship to a team that's special to him too is... Uh, and also doing it versus a 73-9 and Warriors team in the regular season. Yeah, and I mean, 
three one. Uh, you know that whole. It, it was it was a again an unforgettable uh, kind of championship moment. Yeah, and it's a moment that LeBron James believes makes him the greatest basketball player of all time. Whether or not you agree with that, it's hard to argue that this was not one of the greatest moments um, in the sports world of the past 10 years. So moving on to team triumphs, the number one seed, Cubs win first World Series to end 108-year title drought. This is another game where I was on the edge of my seat, even though I'm not a Cubs fan or an Indians fan. Uh, but the fact that they won their first title, like you said, in 108 years, and in the fashion that they did it in, it was a seven-game series, and they were they were winning in the eighth inning, but then all of a sudden Rajay Davis uh, hits the tying home run, and then they go into extra innings, and Ben Zobris hits the gives the Cubs the lead, and then they give it up they give up a run back, but then uh, Chris Bryant gets the grounder to end the World Series, and uh, that was a very special moment for Cubs fans and for baseball. I guess the one drawback for 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 the Cubs winning the World Series is that ever since then, uh, attendance throughout baseball and TV ratings have gone down ever since. Well, I, for me, I, I'm not a baseball fan, so I, I um, I'm coming at this from just like a purely sports perspective. But a 108 year title drought that is even worse than some of these other leagues where they've never won it because the league hasn't been around that long. So for it to be that long of a, uh, it's just, it's pretty monumental. It gives any sports fan of any franchise hope that maybe one day you can witness. Red Sox had something similar uh, in 04 when they had, they had the 86 year drought. I guess it's a little different for the Red Sox because they were knocking on the door so many times back in 46, 75, uh, in 1986 when they faced the Mets and then the Bill Buckner uh, ground ball. So it's kind of similar to the Cubs where they each have had their heartbreaking moments. I guess what's different is that the Cubs, they just really sucked for so long, but then they finally did it in, in 2016. So for the Cubs, winning it for the first time in 108 years, there are a lot of Cubs fans that did not get to see that team win a World Series, and a lot of them that didn't believe they ever would, and they got that opportunity. Uh, one of those moments that's truly unforgettable, and uh, one that certainly belongs as the number one team triumph of the past 10 years. Finally, unforgettable plays, the number one seed, kick six on final play, wins Auburn the Iron Bowl. Yeah, the Alabama Crimson Tide, they were leading, they are lining up for a I think, was it a 57-yard field goal, Corey? Uh, 57 yards. Yeah, and I remember in that moment uh, thinking, what if they just returned this, or the guy from the Auburn, I think it was Chris Davis, what if he just returns this and like, and then they win the game and all of a sudden it actually happens? And, I mean, Alabama, they had, what, nine guards or fat guys on the field and then two unathletic guys and the kicker and the holder. So part of me wasn't surprised that it happened, but it was still... a an incredible play uh, to end Alabama's hopes and dreams that year of winning uh, a, a gazillionth title again. So uh, I was definitely a fan of that play. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things from that like football has where it's like this barely ever happens, but it's possible. You know, you <laughs> rarely do you see the opposing team score a touchdown when you're uh, uh, attempting a field goal, but it can happen. And for it to happen in such a 
um, high stakes moment in uh, a college football season is pretty amazing, especially because Auburn, like, I mean, it's definitely a, kind of a one-sided uh, rivalry these days, but um, I remember when this was happening, it was pretty contentious. And uh, it also has a really good, I don't know if you guys have heard it, but I heard like the um, announcer, the Auburn like game announcer, his, yeah, Rod yeah his, wow. <laughs> when he, his well, call for this yeah. is spectacular. It's one of those things where you're like, oh man, I re-, like sports is so full of emotion. Um, and I, and I love that call. Was that the one where he yells Auburn's going to win the football game? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. It is. Uh, it's a moment that will will live forever um, in the the minds of and hearts of Auburn fans. And of course, the late Rob Bramblett with a, a great call, um, a moment that uh, was certainly played back a lot over the summer after he um, unfortunately passed away. Uh, but it's it's a moment that uh, Auburn fans will always remember. Winning a huge rivalry game on an a, a play that you like you said you never really see that happen uh, happen in such a big moment between two contentious teams uh, certainly deserving of the number one seed in the unforgettable plays region so uh, i guess just my quick thoughts on these a uh, lot of it was so three moments that I, I wasn't a huge fan of um certainly not a patriots fan uh, if you've been listening to this podcast you know that i've also uh, been pretty open about not being a big lebron james fan and as a Pirates fan, I'm not a huge Cubs fan, so I was uh, not so this happy is not, about any of those So this three is moments. not the decade of Corey, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, it certainly was not. And, uh, you know, the Auburn kick six was one that I, I guess uh, kind of had a neutral take on it. Um, I never was really a big uh, Alabama hater, per se, but uh, it was a, a game where I was certainly rooting for Auburn to win. So I'll, I'll take that, I guess, one for four. I think, I think for all four of these, I actually was rooting for – the, the teams that act, that came out on top because, of course, I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, in terms of Auburn, Alabama, I've said plenty of times that I just don't like Nick Saban in, in Alabama for how for how often they win. And then for the I've said the for the Cubs, I'm a slight bandwagon fan of the Cubs. So, and then for the Cavs Warriors, I was just sick of how many people were quote unquote Warriors fans uh, during that time. So. I was actually rooting for the Cavs in that game because of how annoying uh, bandwagon Warriors fans were at the time. You know what? Good for you, Brian. We'll, we'll see how the, <laughs> the rest of this bracket turns out. Let's go back to Championship Heroics, and let's reveal the rest of the teams in this region. So, of course, the one seed, Malcolm Butler, goal line interception, clinches Super Bowl 49 for Patriots. They'll be taking on in the first round, 16th seed, Whit Merrifield, walk-off hit, wins College World Series for South Carolina. The 8th seed, Tua Tagovailoa, overtime touchdown, wins Alabama National Championship. Taking on the 9th seed, Arike Ogunbowale, buzzer beater, wins Notre Dame National Championship. 5th seed, Nick Foles scores on Philly Special to help Eagles the first Super Bowl victory. Taking on the 12th seed, Madison Bumgarner closes out Game 7 of World Series for Giants. And Moving on in the bracket, the four seed Hunter Renfro late touchdown wins Clemson National Championship. Taking on 13 seed Alec Martinez overtime goal clinches Stanley Cup victory for Kings. The six seed David Freeze walk off home run sends Cardinals to game seven of World Series. The 11 seed Alex Morgan stuns Canada to lead USA to Olympics finals. Three seed Chris Jenkins buzzer beater wins National Championship for Villanova. Going up against 14 seed, Blackhawks score twice in closing minutes of Game 6 to win Stanley Cup. 
The seven seed American Pharaoh clinches triple crown with all-time Belmont Stakes win. And the 10 seed Mario Manningham's sideline catch helps Giants win Super Bowl 46. Finally, the two seed Ray Allen sinks game tying three to keep Heat alive in game six of NBA Finals. And the 15 seed Cardell Jones comes off the bench to lead Ohio State to national championship. So I guess right off the bat, just to continue on the this past decade not being great for me, those top four moments of uh, the Malcolm Butler interception, Ray Allen three, Chris Jenkins buzzer beater, and Hunter Renfro touchdown were all very, very painful for me. But I'll let you guys give some of your thoughts on this first championship heroics region. So uh, the two seed, Ray Allen sinking the game tying three to keep the heat alive in game six of the NBA finals. I think this one... It's neck and neck with the number one moment, the Malcolm Butler one. I, I fear that uh, our voters, uh, generally the Patriots, harbor a lot of hatred. And I think people might see our number one moment for this uh, region of the bracket as uh, too positive for the Patriots. And Ray Allen, and I'm not as familiar with sport uh, basketball uh the way people feel about Ray Allen specifically, but I do know a lot of people that look at this as one of the most clutch threes um, that they've ever seen in basketball. Um, and I definitely feel like it embodies that that feeling of absolute clutchness. It wasn't like Malcolm Butler, where it was an, a surprising uh, contributor on the Patriots who was able to make the, you know, the play of the game. This was a guy that they knew they could count on uh, for a three, and in the moment when it mattered most, Ray Allen came through. And for me, that, that kind of transcends sends that game and, and really makes this a, an important moment. Yeah, for the Ray Allen 3, uh, compared to other Celtics fans, I'm a much bigger Ray Allen fan than than others, uh, even though it was, uh, even though it did suck when he left for, for the Miami Heat, I completely understood it. He, he looked at the Celtics team thinking that this is basically over, and he wasn't a, didn't get along with Rondo, and he saw... Uh, a way to win with Miami and uh, that yeah like you said Ben that three was totally clutch and I guess the only reason why I would pick the Butler interception over the Ray Allen three well, well one because I'm a Patriots fan and then two that three didn't win them the NBA finals it was game six and they were down three to two in that series and they still had a game seven to play so slight knocks sl- slight ticky tack uh there but I will still lean with the one seed uh Malcolm Butler play. Hey, I think that's a fair analysis uh, in terms of some of these heroics because we do have some you know, walk-off hits, uh, overtime touchdowns, buzzer beaters, things that did truly win championships, but this was a moment that, that didn't do that. So I do think that is a good reason to kind of knock it down and put it below. Going back to Ben's point, though, about the Patriots, Brian and I are from New England. We naturally have a, a bit of a, a New England fan base, just uh, – from our our friends and family here so it is very possible that uh you know while the patriots are a big hated team there could be plenty of uh patriots fans voters who would push that malcolm butler goal line interception and other new england sports moments uh pretty deep into this bracket but uh you know that that ray allen three the iconic bang call from mike breen that was probably the most famous of them all uh, so that's certainly a huge moment i do like that we have some uh, fun kind of uh parody with that 8-9 seed, um, Tua Tagovailoa and Enrique Agumbawale, both, you know, buzzer beater, you know, I know 
Tua's was in overtime, so there was no clock, but they both won a national championship, so that could be a very interesting one. And, of course, Whit Merrifield making that as a number 16 seed. That was before I was a South Carolina Gamecock uh, student even, uh, let alone an alum. But that's that's certainly a fun moment. We'll see what kind of noise that 16 seed could make. So any other um, thoughts on this in terms of the seeding? Anyone too high, too low for you? Yeah, so we always talk about, uh, or during the March Madness, when the bracket is revealed, it's always the 12-5 seed uh, upset uh, that's always popular. And personally, I would pick the uh, 12 seeded Madison Bumgarner uh, over 5 seeded Nick Foles. Of course, I sound like a total homer, but one, I I love what Madison Bumgarner did in that postseason. I don't think he gets enough credit for, uh, for what he did uh, for the Giants that year. He won two games and closed out the game seven of the world series in four or five innings and didn't need the bullpen whatsoever he basically carried that giants team to victory that year and another thing is i just i just hate the philly special so much the the patriots ran that exact same play in that same game before the philly special and then they even ran that play four years ago in the regular season against them as well and we've seen college other college teams run that play as well and they have a stupid statue of it outside their stadium, and I'll admit it's a total homer pick, but I actually do like uh, I like the twelve seeded Madison Bumgarner in that matchup. Yeah, I actually, I mean, based on what you guys said about who might be voting in this, maybe the Philly special tanks because um, Patriots fans can't stand it, and uh, Mad Madison Bumgarner uh, gets a little boost. Do you think your uh, Clemson friends are going to push Hunter Renfro deep into this bracket? Um, if they're voting, yes, definitely. Um, I mean, but, but it, <laughs> it, unfortunately, it's kind of an epic sports moment. So if it does move forward in this bracket, I, it's a four seed for a reason. I know he's uh, certainly a beloved player in Clemson lore, especially because of that play. Um, just his whole his whole story as being a walk on, yeah. <laughs> uh, being relevant now being no, the yeah, NFL. I thought he so. was, I thought he was going to be on the Patriots after that. Definitely, happened. He's, he's a slot receiver. He's white and he's a walk on, and he's uh, a total underdog or or total overachiever. Right. So I thought I automatically thought he was going to be on the Patriots. Yeah. The, uh, the joke is always that. that he's like they always show the picture of him like in an apartment. Like he just looks like some random scrub off the street, and then he's accomplished so much in his football career. So, um, no, I would not be surprised if Hunter Renfro uh, gets moving uh, in, in the, or his this his moment gets moving in this bracket. All right, and then one last um, you know person in this that I want to talk about for a championship heroic moment, American Pharaoh. And I know a lot of people kind of question where horse racing belongs, uh, particularly horses in these uh, moments about sports and athletes. But this is the first Triple Crown in 37 years. And not only did American Pharaoh complete that, but he won the Belmont Stakes by posting the sixth fastest time ever and the second fastest time to win the Triple Crown. That's why, to me, this is a big championship heroic moment. I don't know if a lot of people would be loyal to sports uh, or to, to horse racing in this case, knowing that there's other sports to, to compete against it. But um, I do think that is a, a great, great moment of the last decade that maybe justify winning the Triple Crown takes away from a little bit. But uh, 
I know you, know, you guys probably aren't as big on horse racing and uh, honoring this moment as uh, I am. This one actually is kind of a tough matchup because, yeah, I'm not really a horse racing guy, but if you watch the replay of American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown there, I love, I, I don't know who the announcer is, I apologize, but I love the call by the announcer. He was so passionate about Amer- American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown in that moment. And then for the, the Mario Manningham throw, yeah, it hurt because uh, the Patriots lost, but uh, I got to give Eli some credit for that throw. That was a, a dart to Mario Manningham on the sideline. So this one actually would be tough. I uh, I could see it going either way. Yeah, I'm pro-human sports. Sorry. Um, I think uh, <laughs> that Mario Manningham has a great chance of getting an upset here. Um, but yeah, dude, if it's not officiated by, if it's not, if it's not humans playing it, I'm probably not a big fan. Um, whether it's horse so racing, at- dog racing, even the, I mean, speaking of dogs, the puppy bowl, um, the, the ref, the, uh, the officiating is too inconsistent in the puppy bowl. I just can't stand it. Uh, so it, it's, it, that's why I hope that, uh, Mario Manningham's sideline catch upsets American Pharaoh, uh, in the championship so Corey, heroics region. So Corey's definitely the highest on this. I'm in the middle. And then Ben's definitely super low on this one. What does it say about American sports moments in the 2010s if a horse did the best sports stuff? Come on. Well, whose team are we all on? Horses can't even vote in this. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, you know what? We'll have to see how the voters decide, but honestly, uh, I. We, we should have. We should. You know what we should have done? We should have had American Pharaoh versus some NASCAR driver winning a, yeah. a cup series. <laughs> yeah. do, do car versus horse. See what happens there. Uh, that would be a, a great battle for sure. But uh, let's move on to legendary moments now. So we already know the one seed, LeBron James, leads Cleveland to first championship in five decades. We take it on the 16 seed. Kemba Walker, step back, leads UConn to win in Big East tournament. The eighth seed, LeBron James, wins first NBA championship in his seventh season. Going up against the nine seed, Roy Halladay throws no hitter in postseason debut. The five seed, Tiger Woods, wins the Masters for first major victory in 11 years. Going up against the 12 seed, Richard Sherman, pass breakup, sends Seahawks to Super Bowl 48. The four seed, Kawhi Leonard, buzzer beater, sends Raptors to Eastern Conference Finals. Going up against the 13 seed, Damian Lillard buzzer beater gives Blazers first playoff series win in 14 years. The sixth seed, Derek Jeter delivers walk-off hit in his final game at Yankee Stadium. And the 11th seed, Drew Brees breaks all-time passing record in New Orleans. The three seed, David Ortiz late grand slam ties game two of ALCS. Going against the 14th seed, Monet Davis becomes first girl to pitch shutout in Little League World Series. The 7th seed, Michael Phelps, becomes the most decorated Olympian ever at the London Games. And the 10th seed, Stephen Curry, wins game for Warriors with long three with .6 seconds left. Finally, the 2 seed, Landon Donovan, sends USA to World Cup knockout stage with game-winning goal. And the 15th seed, TJ Oshie, wins shootout to down Russia in preliminary round. All right, so what are our initial thoughts on the legendary moments region? So I don't... Oh, no, go. Okay. Um, Well, it's recency bias for sure, but Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater. Not only was it a buzzer beater, but it was the moment of hesitation as the ball bounced like four times. It was just 
it was just the absolute best drama. You know, when they say you you literally couldn't write this, the reason you can't write like a script for sports is because the whole value in it is that it's not scripted. If someone had written a script where the ball bounces four times, you'd be like, oh, that's ridiculous. It would never do that. And then in an actual game with it all on the line, we all got to witness the ball bouncing back and forth. Kawhi Leonard and the guys all taking those iconic poses as they try to get a better look to see if the ball is going to go in or not. I think that's, if, if anything's a legendary moment, that's a legendary moment. Um, and it leads to an eventual uh, championship. So there's a lot of value in that. So I, I think that as a four seed, Kawhi Leonard has a really good chance to move through this bracket. I actually do agree with that, and I was a huge fan of the Kawhi Leonard trade for in terms of the Raptors side because even the, even if Kawhi Leonard uh, and the Raptors didn't win uh, didn't win this past year, it, it would with De- Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry they were never going to do anything together. Uh, so just take a shot and see if it works with Kawhi for one year, and of course it actually did happen, and yeah, that was a legendary play and. Uh, as a golf fan, I'm gonna hate the matchup between Kawhi if if they both move on, Kawhi Leonard versus Tiger Woods. But I think Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater is has a really really good shot of not only be, winning that matchup but possibly um, making it out of this region. So Kawhi Leonard versus Tiger Woods would be a very interesting matchup in the second round because there is a bit of a recency bias there. These are two of the few moments in this entire bracket that took place in this year 2019. So I think there's a very good chance that those are two that really stick with people and you know from there could maybe move further in the bracket than some of these moments from say you know the first five years of the decade. So Uh, I think one moment, well, actually, there's really two moments here that uh, really jump out to me as moments that uh, were huge at the time for me and that I'm still very partial to. And those are the two in the three seed. Landon Donovan's goal in the World Cup to send the USA to the knockout stage. Now, that is a moment where just hearing that, oh, just sending USA to the knockout stage, that it, it almost kind of devalues the thought of it. But American soccer, in the men's game, of course the women are fantastic, we're going to get to them later, but the men's team has never uh, really been able to place themselves on the level of uh, the rest of the world in that uh, part of the competition, but I feel like Americans, a lot of us will root for the USA in the World Cup even though we're not huge soccer fans, and I think that's a moment that a lot of Americans, whether you're, you've are you been a soccer player your entire life or you're just someone who watches every four years, could really... Uh, love and appreciate and I know Ben as a big soccer player um, I'm sure that that was a moment that had some positive meaning for you it definitely felt like we were on uh, the path to new heights this kind of game-winning moment uh, in soccer I think boded well for our future and I think a lot of people saw this as not only a a huge highlight but also um, you know a step in the right direction uh, to actual relevance on the world stage um, what's really unfortunate is that's not what this led to. Uh, I mean, it was great at the time, but, uh, to see where we it are to a first round. Next well, round. now it, what we have become accustomed to with American soccer, um, is really disappointing. So as while this moment was truly a high point, unforgettable moment for, uh, us soccer fans, it's really difficult to, to look at, at it and say, well, this really didn't lead to much. And I'll admit, I don't, appreciate soccer as much as i probably should but in terms of just a singular moment not just take out what it led to in in the moment uh it was pretty cool the way they 
the way that the U.S. they were seconds uh, away from being eliminated, and then all of a sudden, Landon Don- Donovan uh, gets the rebound and scores the goal to take the lead and send them to the uh, advance them to the next round or out of the out of their group. Uh, so it was pretty cool for for the country and for U.S. soccer. Yeah, and I guess uh, talking about the three seed, David Ortiz's late grand slam ties game two of ALCS. Now, if you go back to 2013 in Boston, that was the year of the Boston Marathon bombing. And uh, the way the Red Sox team really rallied behind Boston strong and this moment, the beauty of this moment was not only was this a grand slam to tie a a game that the Red Sox had to win, having been down one to nothing in the series, but that iconic moment of the Boston police officer in the bullpen just throwing his hands up uh, yeah. in celebration after the Ortiz Grand Slam, which it, it gives you chills. That was my favorite part of that home run, to be honest. Uh, was the when Tory Hunter missed the catch and went over the the bullpen wall. It was his legs, and then the the Boston police officer's arms both up at the same exact time and got a, uh, a still picture of both of them happening at the same time. I thought that was pretty cool. So it's not the only baseball moment in here. Uh, we also have Roy Halladay's no hitter, Derek Jeter's walk off. Um, you know, of, of course, uh, with Roy Halladay, the only the second no hitter in postseason history but he has a tough matchup going against LeBron James winning championships so we'll see how he can do and in fact we could be looking at LeBron versus LeBron the Cleveland championship versus a Miami championship in the second round and I, I can see Corey or I can see you Corey voting for Kemba and Roy Halladay in both of those matchups <laughs> and making sure LeBron doesn't win either of them yeah, we'll see if I I don't know if I have that full power um, with my singular vote but we'll see about that <laughs> so um, any any other uh, last minute takes on this region? No, I I don't really see any. The only upset I could possibly see, or I guess personally, uh, would be maybe Curry over Phelps. Because I'll admit, I, I've talked about how I'm not. I don't value soccer that much. I also don't value the Olympics as much as I probably should. So, uh, and the the Steph Curry shot was pretty cool. I don't think it'll advance all the way to the final four or anything like that, but as a potential upset, I can see it. So I think my only thing about the Steph Curry shot was that happened in a regular season game. I think it was in the playoffs and it would be um, certainly And that's also, higher. that's also a good point as well. All right. So let's move on to our third region. That is team triumphs. And of course the number one seed Cubs win world series uh, to end 108 year title drought. Going up against the 16 seed, Rays and Cardinals clinch wildcard bursts in game 162. The 8 seed, U.S. women's national team wins second straight World Cup going against the 9 seed, Mississippi State ends UConn's 111 game winning streak in the national semifinals. The 5 seed, USA gets revenge on Japan to win first World Cup in 16 years, taking on the 12 seed, Mavericks upset Heat to win first NBA championship. The four seed, Wisconsin defeats undefeated Kentucky in national semifinals, going up against the 13 seed. Bruins come back from down three goals in Game 7 to beat the Maple Leafs. The six seed, UMBC becomes first 16 seed to win men's NCAA tournament game, going up against the 11 seed, Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean complete an improbable run to Final Four. 
The three seed Red Sox win first World Se- or Red Sox win World Series six months after Boston Marathon bombing. Taking on the 14 seed South Carolina rides three upsets the first Final Four appearance. The seven seed Vegas Golden Knights reach Stanley Cup Finals in inaugural season. Taking on the 10 seed Capitals end history of playoff woes by winning first Stanley Cup. Finally, the two-seed Patriots come back from down 28-3 to win Super Bowl 51, going up against the 15-seed Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk City advance to Sweet 16. So, which of these team triumphs are standing out the most to you? So, um, this one, I, I honestly feel like could have been one of the number one seeds, but Patriots come back from being down 28-3 in the Super Bowl. I mean, come on. That is insanity. I mean, uh, like, not only does it completely destroy the city of Atlanta uh, from a sports, a professional uh, sports perspective, but it's also just such a unthinkable comeback in the most important game um, in in uh, in the NFL. So, I think this has a really good chance, especially if it's going to have the backing of Patriots fans who might end up seeing this uh, vote. Yeah, they were down 19 points entering the fourth quarter, and then they got a, they got a Stephen Koskowski field goal, and they're still down two touchdowns and two two point conversions, uh, and they need they need everything every single thing to go their way uh, in in that game or in the fourth quarter, and they get the turnover from Dante High Tower strip sack, they get the touchdown, the two point conversion. And then all of a sudden, Matt Ryan, he completes this incredible pass to Julio Jones. And in that moment, I'm thinking, all right, all Atlanta needs to do is run the ball a few times and kick a field goal, and the game is very, very likely over. And like I said with this, the Patriots-Seahawks moment, it's it's a little bit of stupidity on the opposing team for not doing what was necessary in the moment, but it's also a credit to uh, the Patriots for taking advantage of uh, of the moment as well and like you said ben it 28 to 3 uh in the super bowl in the second half uh unthinkable stuff so i th- i think that has a good shot of making it out of this region speaking of unthinkable uh the sixth seed umbc becomes first 16 seed <laughs> to win men's ncaa tournament game you notice that this they're a 16 seed in March Madness, but they were not a 16 seed in this bracket because um, this is uh, the first time this has ever happened. It's pretty uh, incredible, and I think that the novelty of being the like the first and only is going to help them uh, move far in this bracket. Yeah, I mean, it's a moment that I think a lot of us had just dismissed as something that would never happen, and. Uh, for them to pull off that upset and not only just win that game, but to win by 20 points. It just, it felt like, wow, this is, this is unreal. How is this happening right now? And their, their first round matchup though, they're taking on another moment from that exact same tournament with, uh, while UMBC won that single game, Loyola Chicago, they're an 11 seed in this bracket. They were an 11 seed in the actual bracket, and they rode a bunch of upsets to make the Final Four. Of course, Sister Jean became a, a huge story and a big part of that run. So I think that uh, that's a very, very fun matchup uh, in the first round. I love it as well, especially since my dad, uh, who doesn't know anything about college basketball like many people, uh, he picked the Ramblers to make the Final Four and I'll admit that's a lot of it just because of the name, the Ramblers, but the fact that it ap- actually happened uh, uh, 
I, I, I agree with you, Corey. I like this matchup a lot. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of college basketball moments um, that made this team triumphs list. Uh, Mississippi State, the nine seed, beating UConn. So the only women's moment uh, in this region. But that's just unbelievable because UConn looked like they were invincible having won 111 straight games. Mississippi State knocks them off there's and two, does it. There's two, uh, the Mississippi State, UConn, and, and U.S. over Japan. No, in terms of women's basketball. Oh, women's basketball. Okay, sorry. I thought you yeah. said women's basketball. Yeah, okay. so, so you're focusing on college basketball. We'll get to the, the U.S. women national team, of course. Uh, but in, in terms of other college basketball moments here, some of the lower ones, you have the 15-seed Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk City. You know, while the 16-seed winning one game is certainly uh, something we've never seen before, we also never saw a 15-seed make it all the way to Sweet 16. And then, of course, South Carolina making it all the way to the Final Four, uh, upsetting Duke. Baylor and Florida along the way, three of the the bigger schools in the country when it comes to college basketball. That's a moment that you know Ben and I can certainly appreciate. The greatest sports moment that we actually lived through, being South Carolina students at the time. So I think there's a lot of really fun college basketball matchups in here. Of course, we're not even talking about the four seed Wisconsin knocking off undefeated Kentucky back in 2015. Uh, so there there's uh, a lot of lot of reasons for college basketball fans to be excited about this region. Yeah, even though I have no ties to to what you guys have with South Carolina, uh, but the fact that they made the Final Four, beating Baylor, Duke, Florida, uh, along the way was really really cool. I just think that, and I think it is kind of underseeded as the 14 seed, but the fact that they're facing the three seeded Red Sox winning the World Series after everything that happened in the marathon bombing that same that same exact year, uh, I I don't know how it makes it out of that region uh, that matchup. Yeah, that'll certainly be a tough matchup for me to decide. Uh, I guess real quickly before we move on, talking about those U.S. women, uh, of course, a five seed and an eight seed, the 2015 team getting the higher seed. Uh, so, Ben, as a, the resident soccer fan, what are your thoughts on these positionings for the ladies? Um, I don't know. Like The eight seed just feels a, bit, a little bit low for the women's team winning their straight second straight World Cup. So, um, but to tell you the truth, even though I highly respect both of these teams, the five and the eight seed, I'm not super hopeful for their chances here because if there's one thing I know, women's sports is are not popular on the internet. Have you guys, did you guys ever look at the Instagram comments underneath the women's national team posts for like, you know, Bleacher Report or ESPN or Sports Illustrated, any of those, if you go, I'm sure it's very sexist Twitter. Yes. The comment sections are in like, they're just insulting. Like it makes me feel bad to be a, like a human because of the, the, some of the vile things that people say because they just lose their absolute mind when they witness women playing sports. So um, I hope that these these two, the five and the eight seed, defiantly move up this bracket. But if they go nowhere, I'll be disappointed, but not surprised. I can definitely see the U.S. beating or getting revenge on Japan. Uh, I can see that one moving up a, a couple rounds. And I, I've talked about how I'm not a big soccer fan, and especially the men's side where they, they don't even do anything. They didn't even make the the group stage at all in the last world cup I, the men's team is a joke but the women's team is the, the women's soccer team is awesome and i remember when i watched the u.s japan uh world cup matchup the, it, the, that was the 15 best uh minutes of soccer i've ever watched they scored four goals in the first 15 minutes and carly lloyd had a hat trick 
And she and I remember they're down they're up three nothing and Carly Lloyd she kicks the ball from midfield and then the the J- Japanese uh, goalie she's backing up backing up and all of a sudden she falls flat on her back and the ball goes right in the net and I thought that was that was just awesome so I would actually have I wouldn't have the advancing out of the final the to the final four I don't think with what they have to face with the Patriots the Cubs uh, Vegas or the Red Sox even but. I think it deserves a couple rounds. Yeah, so I think you know one one knock that I guess can go against the the two World Cup uh, wins is both of them were in relative blowouts. You know, four, what five to two and two to nothing. Uh, I'm not sure if those totally constitute blowouts in soccer, but uh, it's it wasn't the exciting kind of finish that say Landon Donovan uh, scoring in the the, the uh, final minute of that knockout stage game. But I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that the, the U.S. winning in 2015 uh, certainly is a moment that I would like to see advance pretty far. And uh, it's possible if the U.S. 2019 win can pull off of you know, potentially an upset over the Cubs in the second round, we could have the two of them meet in the Sweet 16. So let's finally wrap things up with our last region, Unforgettable Plays. The number one seed, kick six on final play, wins Auburn the Iron Bowl, going up against the 16 seed, Bartolo Colon, belts first career home run at 42 years old. The eight seed, Eagles cap off unlikely comeback with Miracle at the New Meadowlands, going up against the nine seed, Jadavion Clowney tackle and fumble recovery for South Carolina in the Outback Bowl. The five seed, Saints recover on surprise onside kick to start second half of Super Bowl 44. Going up against the 12 seed, Jose Bautista flips his bat as he hits go-ahead game five home run. The four seed, Odell Beckham Jr. hauls in one-handed touchdown catch. And the 13 seed, Butler almost upsets Duke at buzzer in national championship game. The sixth seed, Sony Michelle touchdown sends Georgia to national championship game. Going up against the 11 seed, Michigan State returns fumble for touchdown as time expires to beat Michigan. The three seed, Marshawn Lynch goes beast mode against Saints and Seahawks playoff win. Taking on the 14 seed, Jermaine Curse overtime touchdown sends Seahawks to Super Bowl 49. The seven seed, Tim Tebow overtime touchdown pass leads Broncos to playoff win over Steelers. Taking on the 10 seed, D. Gordon homers and Marlins first at bat following death of Jose Hernandez. Finally, the two seed Minneapolis Miracle sends Vikings to NFC Championship game. Going up against the 15 seed, Ali Farokmanesh 3 leads Northern Iowa to upset of top overall seed Kansas. So, a lot of unforgettable plays in this region. A lot of fun matchups in the first round. So what's jumping out at you guys to start? Well, you uh, you can't have... Uh, unforgettable plays without mentioning Odell Beckham Jr.'s catch. I mean, talk about a moment that changed his career. This man went from being good. I mean, obviously he was already good, but then just exploded into the superstar that we know him as today, or or we guess we remember him as being when he was a giant before he joined Baker Mayfield's uh, Browns. But I... I think this one has a really good chance to go down just because of how memorable it was. Everybody remembers where they were when Odell Beckham Jr. caught that ball, and it's been replayed ad nauseum ever since. Uh, I actually don't remember where I was, but anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I was when that play happened. But uh, we talked about in the last region where uh, a 16 seed has never been a one seed, and all of a sudden UMBC 
upsets Virginia in the first round that season. Uh, Bartolo Colon, though, hitting a home run as fat as he is uh, and as lovable as a character as he is. I don't know. Would it would a sixteen seed beat a one seed in this matchup? Uh, I could see I, it happening. I, I don't know. It maybe it might get my vote. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but another thing, uh, uh, a lot. I see more, even more upsets in this region. Uh, I'm not gonna say Ali for Oakmanesh should upset Stefan Diggs's catch uh, for the Minneapolis Miracle. But if anyone remembers that game, Kansas was unanimous in terms of uh, who's gonna who everyone thinks is going to win in their bracket. And uh, that had to be one of, if not the greatest upset of all time in college basketball. And Allie for uh, Northern Iowa is up by, uh, what are they up by three in that moment when that they were up by one, up by one. 63 to 62. Okay. So they're up by one that moment. And for Mesh, you can clearly go in for the layup or pass it to another teammate, but he decides, you know what? I'm going to stick to my game and just uh, go out for the three here. And, once once that shot went in i don't it wasn't completely game over but it was a, basically it, it, a felt like a it felt like a dagger yeah right mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a moment that um it, it's a little lower seated and to me i think that kind of makes sense uh you know it, I don't know if I would say greatest upset in college basketball history. I do agree that it was a big upset. Um, Kansas was certainly considered the favorite to win that tournament, uh, but really the two things going against it was it wasn't a buzzer beater. It was just a go-ahead three, and there was still some time left to be played in that game. And Northern Iowa happened in the second round. They didn't even advance past that game, so I think those are things that could kind of weigh that down. But of course, uh, another one of those you talk about in the moment, it was a, an unbelievable shot, just unexpected shot yeah i'm not saying i would pick it over stefan diggs i would i would take stefan diggs's catch over it but i thought it was a really cool moment and maybe a little bit underseated i guess but i over i overvalue that play a little bit so uh, this matchup does have a uh, two big seahawks moments going up against each other in terms of the marshawn lynch touchdown run against the saints and then jermaine curse's touchdown to beat the seahawks brian i know you're a big fan of that jermaine curse touchdown yeah uh, i thought it was i thought it was a really cool play not just that one particular play but it looked like the seahawks were done in that game and they were down i, th- I think it was like 20 to 6 or or 19 to 6 something like that i think it was 19 to nothing 19 to nothing oh wow even if i remember correctly even a bigger lead than i thought and uh, and once the once russell wilson threw his i think fourth interception in that game i thought it was i thought it was it but then all of a sudden russell wilson gets the touchdown and then they go for the onside kick and then uh bostic uh on the packers fumbles it uh on the onside kick and then the seahawks get it back and then Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch uh, gets a touchdown to take the lead, and then they go into overtime, and then uh, Russell Wilson throws a throws a dart to Jermaine Curse in the end zone uh, to advance them to the Super Bowl. I thought it was just a really cool play, and I I thought it was one of the better games all year, and one of the best ones until the Super Bowl, of course. Uh, and I thought it was deserving of making the at least the bracket. Well, speaking of Seahawks, um, Seahawks legend Jadavian Clowney also has one of his moments on here, um, and uh, it's just called the hit, man. He uh, sent that guy's helmet into orbit in the Outback Bowl, and I think I'm hoping that at least some of my Gamecock followers on Twitter can give this moment a boost uh, and maybe even pull off that first round upset uh, between the nine and the eight seed. 
Yeah, I mean, that was an awesome moment, awesome play for uh, Judavion Clowney. Of course, you know, Mike, Mike Tirico with the call, South Carolina deserves to have it, and they do. Uh, just uh, in, in terms of that game, down 22-21, to 21, it seemed like the team was uh, not playing their best football, and that, that play certainly sparked uh, the Gamecocks and helped them win that game um, going forward in the, the fourth quarter there. A lot of college football plays uh, with, of course, the one seed being the, the kick six. We have a matchup in the 6-11, the Sony Michelle touchdown versus the Michigan State touchdown. I think the Michigan State touchdown fits in that category of plays that you never see happen with a just a, a bad snap on the punt. The punter misplays it, it just throws it away and leads to a Michigan touchdown, while Sony Michelle, that play was more of a um, just a heroic type moment leading Georgia to a national championship game that they ultimately lost. But uh, This was a matchup that I was... Uh, just about to bring up in terms of a potential upset because, uh, yeah, the Rose Bowl was was awesome between uh, Georgia and Oklahoma, and Sony Michelle. It was yeah, he had a great game and it was a nice touchdown. But it was just we've seen we've seen game winning touchdowns before. We haven't <laughs> we don't see a, a fumbled punt return for a touchdown to end the game very often. And uh, I can see a potential ups, upset with Michigan State uh, winning that matchup. All right, so I think that that's going to wrap up our um, bracket reveal. So at this point, you have the 64 greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010s that will be up for debate. And voting starts on Monday, December 2nd. So we will be doing two days per round. Uh, the voting will be done by Twitter polls once again at He's Done It Pod on Twitter at H E S D O N E. I-T-P-O-D. So uh, the voting for the first round will be Monday, Tuesday, December 2nd and 3rd. Second round, Thursday, Friday, December 5th and 6th. And that process will continue for two more weeks with ultimately the championship being decided on December 19th and 20th. So be sure to vote in each round on each matchup. You know, tell your friends, uh, spread it to other followers, try to get as many voters involved as possible so we can get a true representation of the greatest moment of the past decade. So, for Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks for listening.